traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions for Wednesday, December the 8th, 2021. Yesterday was Pearl Harbor Day. And I neglected to mention the 80th anniversary of the surprise attack on the U.S. Naval Base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii by Imperial Japan. That's what brought the United States into World War II. Between 23 and 2,400 U.S. servicemen were killed. It would be interesting to know. I wonder how many high school seniors or even college or university students could tell could tell you what Pearl Harbor was all about. President Roosevelt called December 7th, 1941, a day that shall live in infamy. And it does. Today, December 8th, is another anniversary. It was on this day in 1980, about six hours from now, another heinous act. The murder of former Beatle John Lennon. And many of us old enough to remember heard about Lennon's horrible Grizzly death while watching Monday Night Football. Howard Cosell made the announcement in the final moments of a football game between the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots. Here's how that sounded 41 years ago tonight. Kavanaugh will let it run down for one final attempt. He'll let the seconds tick off to give Miami no opportunity whatsoever. Timeout is called. Three seconds remaining. John Smith is on the line. And I don't care what's on the line, Howard. You have got to say what we know in the booth. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. And 
unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, the most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. Hard to go back to the game after that news flash, which in duty found we had to take. Frank. All right, that's the way it sounded 41 years ago tonight. Uh, a quick story. I was at my friend's house, Tom Balin. He lived around the corner from my house where I grew up in Brantford. And we had just discovered the Beatles maybe a year earlier, 1979. I think that's right. There was a, I remember a high school field trip to Toronto and a trip to Sam the Record Man, of course. That was a pilgrimage on Young Street. And uh, I bought the Beatles album, the Blue Album, Greatest Hits. It was a, or a compilation album. Double album, hits 1967 to 70. And so Tom Balin and I would gather at either his place or my place almost every day after school, it seemed. And we would listen to that album over and over and marvel at the music from a band that had broken up nearly a decade earlier. So on the night of December 8th, 1980, I was at Tom's. We had Monday Night Football on the TV in his parents' rec room. But we had the sound turned down because, of course, we were listening to Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane and The Long and Winding Road over and over and over again. It's singing along. And so we didn't hear Howard Cosell announce John Lennon's murder. And then sometime after 11 o'clock, I raced home through the snow probably with Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds playing in my mind, dreaming of a Beatles reunion. I got home, apologized to my parents in the kitchen for being so late, headed down the hall to my bedroom. And as I got ready for bed, I heard a voice through my bedroom door, my sister Kathy, telling me John Lennon was shot tonight. He's dead. Sorry, I thought you should know. And I have to say, 41 years later, it still kind of stings. All right, that's my John Lennon story. I have others, and one day I'll share. Yesterday, the Senate passed Bill C-4, a bill that would criminalize conversion therapy. So let's say a young girl, could be a young boy, but in this instance, let's say a young girl suddenly decides she feels like she's a boy. Maybe after months of being told in school that gender has nothing to do with biology, that it's a social construct, could that have something to do with it? or being told that sex and gender are two different things, which they are not. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out.
This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So we're not talking about sexual orientation here. Where a man who is oriented towards other men or a woman who is oriented towards other women, such a person is, is gay. And attempting to change one's sexual orientation is abhorrent, of course. But we're talking about young girls or young boys who, who suddenly feel they were born in the wrong body. This is what's known as gender dysphoria. And right now it's happening at an alarming rate, particularly with young girls, more and more young girls saying they're in the wrong body. And public school teachers and counselors are instructed to affirm this immediately and without question. And in some cases, not to tell the parents that the child has requested to be called perhaps by a new name with new pronouns. And any attempt to not affirm this, any attempt to not affirm this could now be illegal under a, a very vaguely worded new law passed last, last night in the Senate. Of course, it now requires royal assent before being official. And they're facing the very same issue in the UK, the, the, the criminalization of what's known as conversion therapy. Alex Phillips is a, a terrific television host on GBN. Have a listen. Now, unless you are a medieval brute or ardent religious fanatic, you probably wholly agree that gay conversion therapy was a whole world of wrong. Gay people being encouraged to self-flagellate, agreeing to be tortured, even raped, often drugged and performing superstitious exorcism-like rituals is the stuff of witchcraft, not modern medicine in a tolerant society. And so we should all applaud the government's enthusiasm to rush through legislation outlawing the barbaric practice. Or should we? Because the government have apparently become so eager to wokely appease the new bête noire of a truly tolerant society in the form of Stonewall, the once pioneering organisation for gay equality that has latterly become the blinkered blight on long-held women's rights, that it has foolhardily slashed legal consultation time for a slate of new laws from a full 12 weeks to just forcing what may turn out to be critical small print to be swept along with the rising tide of vacuous virtue signalling, as so much of this slapdash policy seems to do. But this time, it's tragically serious. Because the new legislation also includes valid treatment of the 21st century's trendiest condition, body dysphoria. Why does this matter? Well, Unlike permitting perverse quack therapies that purport to somehow make homosexual people straight, the treatment for patients presenting with questions about their gender identity is, quite rightly, initiated psychologically, given that the matter is entirely a mental one. The NHS already mandates that anybody who questions their sex should be automatically affirmed and encouraged to begin the pathway to transition rather and undergo counselling to explore the psychological landscape and seek to reverse it. But if this becomes enshrined in law, any therapist who wishes to assist a patient with counselling to treat their dysphoria with the end goal of being at ease with their birth, sex at birth could be accused of committing a crime. There you go. So imagine a young girl suddenly decides she feels like a boy. She's placed on potentially dangerous hormone blockers. Later, her breasts will be cut off. 
She won't be able to have children. The parents have no right to object. None of the child's underlying psychological conditions can be explored or treated. That's considered part of conversion therapy, potentially under this vaguely worded new new bill. This is complete madness. But the Senate rushed it through. Very little debate because our politicians are utter cowards. Most of them know virtually nothing about this issue, nothing. And yet thousands of young girls, thousands of young boys will be effectively sterilized. Many may wind up regretting their decision, but then it will be too late. Very sad. Very sad. It's a horrible thing that happened yesterday in the Senate. Amy Eileen Hamm, a founding member of COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, will be here to discuss shortly. Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com, joins us every Wednesday as we push back against the cult of climate change and global warming hysteria. Last week, Tony and I talked about a crazy plan supported by and funded by Bill Gates to drop millions of tons of particulates into the atmosphere in an effort to forestall global warming. It's it's uh, it's all part of something called hacking the earth. And uh, there are other ways to hack the earth besides geoengineering. And we'll uh, discuss at least one of them with uh, Tony Heller. Hour two, Elon Musk. I'm not sure what to make of Elon. Sometimes I like what he has to say. Other times, well, this whole neural link idea, putting chips into people's brains, human computer interface, that scares me. But he's right about this what I'm about to tell you is we're not having enough children and it could spell disaster for civilization. And I agree. I mean, forget all this nonsense about overpopulation. That's a complete and utter myth like global warming. But, but global warming has scared a lot of people and they're, and they're deciding not to have children. Luckily, most of these gullible people are liberals. The conservatives continue to have kids. Most large families are religious conservatives. So the conservatives will ultimately win, I guess, through attrition. So when liberals say we're not having children, the world is horrible. There are too many people on the planet. People ruin everything. I say to the liberals, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. You go ahead and do that. Don't have children. Anyway, Elon Musk is right. The declining birth rate could spell the end of civilization. Of course, the liberals are cheering for that. I'm not. Armin Brott is known as Mr. Dad. He's a spokesman for the Men's Health Network and author of The New Father, A Dad's Guide to the Toddler's Toddler Years. And uh, he'll join us in the uh, the second hour to discuss this this disturbing trend and a declining birth rate. Now, good news. This is not controversial. This is good news. And I can't believe we're still debating this or should I say public health is still ignoring or suppressing this. It's not controversial. Uh, 104 research studies now affirm naturally acquired immunity to COVID-19. We should be cheering this. This is good news. Dr. Paul Alexander will be here to discuss. And uh, Russia is preparing to invade Ukraine. We should be very disturbed about that. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here to round out the program towards the tail end of hour two. All right. But first, Amy Eileen Hamm will be here to discuss the Senate's swift passage of Bill C-4, a very bad, appallingly bad piece of legislation. Back with more in a minute. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, the Senate passed a very controversial and appallingly bad piece of legislation, Bill C-4. It's... um, a bill that will criminalize what is known as conversion therapy. 
And uh, here to discuss is Amy Eileen Ham. She's a Cosbar founding member. That's Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. She's a writer at the Post Millennial and co-host of the podcast, Gender Critical Story Hour. Amy, welcome back. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? Very well. Very well. So um, what happened in this? This this uh, was what kind of a vote was this in the Senate? Was it was it uh, fairly unanimous or was it or not fairly unanimous? Was it unanimous or were there was there any opposition? Do you know? So it's interesting because, um, as you know, this bill was tabled very recently in the House of Commons. It passed unanimously and then it moved very quickly to the Senate. And then in a single day, it passed. Nobody wanted to send it to committee, um, even though I know personally that there have been dozens, maybe even hundreds of Canadians who have after it passed the House of Commons, were raising concerns to senators and were told personally by senators that they were concerned about the bill, um, but nobody put up any fights. They they just rammed it through. I mentioned in my, my opening remarks that I'm guessing there are maybe even the majority of, of senators and maybe even MP, MPs who know virtually nothing about this topic. Would you agree? I do. So and this bill was also in the last parliament. So this was reintroduced um, after Trudeau called an election. The last time that it was um, debated in the House of Commons, 62 out of 119 conservative MPs voted against it. Um, But in this case, their issue is more because they're social conservatives. And so to them, the issue was they're worried that it would criminalize conversations between children and parents or religious leaders about um, their sexuality. So for homosexual kids, I think. Well, I don't know most, about that because, excuse me, Amy, but I, I mean, I, I consider myself sorry. to be a social conservative. And, and as a social yeah. conservative, I mean, I, you know, I, I know a lot of social conservatives and, and uh, some may have issues with with, um, you know, not being allowed to talk about sexual orientation. But I know a lot of social conservatives are also deeply concerned about the same thing that you're concerned about. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I am, agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm heartened to know that there was some opposition. However, it's, you know, too little, too late. Um, but it yeah. seems like they just they just wanted to get it off their plate this time. They just don't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the conservatives historically were kind of embarrassed about how they dealt with the gay marriage issue and maybe that's part of it and they didn't do so well in the last election um so maybe they're also partly (laughs) trying to buy future votes and they don't want to look like they're on the wrong side of history even though this isn't a simple issue it's an extremely contentious issue and a lot of people don't understand that this bill is number one useless in terms of actual conversion therapy on um, homosexual people. That doesn't really happen in Canada at all anymore. But now they, they have conflated the bill with gender identity. Um, they really are two very different things and should not be together in one bill. And the latter causes a lot of harm. Right. Yeah. And just to clarify, um, for those maybe just joining us, that, that everyone should be, uh, and most people are, rightly, you know, abhor, uh, find uh, trying to, to convert someone's sexual orientation, uh, that would be that's absolutely abhorrent. Um, it is. You know, to trying to make someone who is gay, make them straight, which you can't do. But in this case, we're talking about 
what could be something like a rapid onset gender dysphoria, where suddenly a little girl feels like she's a boy, something that 80 to 90 percent of children will grow out of. They may end up being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their sexual orientation may be, you know, they may be gay. They may grow up to be a lesbian or a, a gay, a gay man. Uh, but in this case, we're talking about uh, conversion, criminalizing conversion therapy. In other words, even just counseling somebody who feels that they maybe were born in the wrong body, trying to make them comfortable in their own body. Mm-hmm. Do I have that summarized correctly? Yeah, it, I'm. You know, and this is, we're talking about the criminal code. So therapists, any kind of counselor, health care worker, they would be facing up to five years in prison for trying to explore, say, a child who comes and says they identify as the opposite sex, having a conversation to explore why they might feel that way, um, or if they happen to notice that this child fits into the ROGD category where a lot of um, those people are autistic and they have other mental health issues going on. They're not actually transgender. Um, And it would become illegal to try to assist this person to feel comfortable in their own body. And you could actually go to prison. Okay. I just want to ROGD. That's rapid onset gender dysphoria. Um, Amy, we'll take a quick time out. Let's come back and discuss further. This is uh, so important. Amy Eileen Hamm founding member of Cosbar, writer at the Postmillennial, co-host of the podcast, Gender Critical Story Hour. More of our conversation in three minutes. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Eileen Ham stays with us, Cosbar founding member, and uh, the podcast is called Gender Critical Story Hour. So this a bill that has now passed the Senate and is awaiting royal assent will become law, criminalizing conversion therapy. And because the bill is so vaguely worded, we could have a situation where, uh, let's say, you, you tell me, Amy, if this is conceivable, that a, that a parent who is told or finds out that their son or daughter feels uncomfortable in the body they were born in, feels suddenly that they might be a boy or a girl. If they were to take their child to see a psychologist or some sort of account or some type of counselor to make them, I don't know, just to listen to them and find out what, what, what's going on. Uh, Maybe to treat an underlying depression or you mentioned autism. Um, It could be raging hormones. Even Mm -hmm. having that conversation, that parent could be put in jail. Yeah. So that is, indeed how vague the wording is in this bill, which also makes it unusual because usually when you have laws, you need extremely specific wording, but these concepts like gender identity, everything is, is very vague and there are no fixed definitions. So there's actually, there's a guy on Twitter called just dad seven. He's a lawyer and he wrote about this and he said um, the term in the bill that's practice treatment or service is so broad that it could even encompass the practice of parenting. So this bill could actually criminalize a conversation that a parent has with their own child about exploring their gender identity, let alone if the parent takes them to a counselor who does the same thing. Absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. Um, It's insane. Had the Senate um, chose to go a different route and this was this bill then was to go to, to committee. Uh, 
would Cospar ha- have been had a seat at the table? Are you considered a stakeholder? Uh, I mean, certainly we would have absolutely loved to do that because the public needs to know what's going on. They need to understand this issue. And it's very clear that few people do. And and what sort of what, what would you have said before a committee hearing on Bill C-4? There's so much to say, but, you know, the the main thing is that sexual orientation and gender identity are two extremely different things. And, and banning uh, the so-called conversion therapy for gender identity is very ironic because what you're actually probably going to start seeing is more kids who are homosexual being trans. So that in, in itself is actually a conversion therapy. That's an excellent point. An excellent point. And yet they don't consider it conversion therapy to to influence children in our public school system to constantly be affirming, you know, that that whatever they feel must be reality, that they they must be they must have been born in the wrong body. To me, that's a type of conversion therapy, is it not? I completely agree. And I think the concept of every person having a gender identity is false. I think it's a religious concept it's based on mind body dualism i don't subscribe to that belief and it's infuriating that the canadian government is now imposing this on parents and on healthcare providers um it's just are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for african americans do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over policing president biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Such a dramatic overreach, both into the personal lives of Canadians and into uh, into the work of healthcare professionals who you know, what other legislation coming from the federal government dictates what healthcare professionals do on a clinical practice level. This is pretty much unheard of. So what this law in effect does is it clears the, 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 the path for young people who are too young to consent really to anything. Uh, they will be affirmed. Many of them will be, be replaced, will be placed on potentially dangerous hormone blockers. Maybe young girls will have their breasts removed uh, mm-hmm. later in life. Uh, they will not be able to have children. Um, they will be sterilized. Boys and girls will be sterilized in this country as a result of this law. Um, they will be. And later in life, many of them may regret it and it'll be too late. Yeah. And that's another uh, horrible thing about this bill, uh, which was also brought up by this um, just dad guy on Twitter, the lawyer, he said, you know, 
if you happen to have someone who wants to detransition, and we're certainly seeing that there are large numbers of detransitioners coming out of the woodwork, this bill would also criminalize discussions around someone wanting to detransition because that would also under this bill be considered conversion therapy. Unbelievable. So, yeah, Unbelievable. You wouldn't even be able to help someone if they experience regret about transitioning. Right, right. And we know that the suicide rates among transgendered people is very, very high, far greater than the general population. And yet they would therefore have nowhere to go because that would be considered conversion therapy. Yeah, yeah. And, they, you know, they like to falsely claim that transition reduces the suicide rate, but there's actually no evidence. Um, showing that that is true. It seems to be the same whether or not um, people transition. Um, but I, I would personally think that if people are prevented from detransitioning, that that is not going to make this problem any better. Just one tragedy piled on top of another. Uh, very quickly, mm -hmm. Amy, how do we listen to the Gender Critical Story Hour podcast? Our Twitter handle is GC Story Hour, and we post everything there. All right, Amy. Thank you again for all your time and effort. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Amy Eileen Ham, founding member of COSPAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. All right. When we come back, we push back against the climate, the climate, the climate change cult. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Introducing a new P73 Oregano Gummy. Oregano's Gummies from North American Herb and Spice. North American Herb and Spice is the first to introduce a clean gummy infused with P73 Oregano Oil, a spice oil known for its immune-supporting benefits. It took over two years to develop and contains no refined sugars. Tapioca syrup yet tastes delicious. It's made with the only oregano oil for daily use, P73. Oregano's P73 Oregano's combines black seed oil and the Peruvian yacon root, a zero, a zero glycemic sweetener that acts as a natural prebiotic. Every hand-picked harvest is triple tested for purity and authenticity. These delicious gummies are perfect for daily use. The new P73 Oregano's gummies complement their wild P73 oregano oils and capsules. And like all P73 products, are perfected or perfect rather for daily use and the whole family order online at oregano.com o-r-e-g-a-n-o-l 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 p73 oregano gummies from north american herb and spice order yours today at oregano.com all right i was all set to talk about um hacking the earth and a couple of other things with uh, tony heller the uh, founder of realclimatescience.com. But we have some late breaking news regarding Arctic sea ice. Tony, welcome once again. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Richard. How about yourself? Very well. So um, just a few days ago, uh, you posted it was a it was a map. This was from the Danish Meteorological Institute, and it showed um, what was a kind of a thermal imaging map, and it showed uh, greater sea ice volume in the Arctic, way above the uh, the 2004 to 2013 average, right? You posted that and well, you you take it from here. You explain what happened. 
Yeah, so the Danish Meteorological Institute for the past 20 years or so has been um, every single day making a map of believe ice thicknesses, very detailed map of what they believe ice thicknesses in the Arctic Basin. And um, so I've been, I've been tracking it. I look at it every day. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of Russian ships stuck in the ice right now off the coast of Siberia because there's a lot of thick ice that these shippers believe the climate science that the ice is disappearing and now they're stuck and, and Russia's frantically trying to get them out of the ice before it gets too much thicker as the winter progresses. So I've been tracking this and I know this was going to happen a couple of weeks ago and as of three days ago suddenly the, the ice went above the uh, the volume of ice went above the 2004 to 2013 average. So I tweeted about this because I'd been expecting it to happen. And I copied CNN, BBC News, NPR, and the New York Times on it. And then, mysteriously, I was actually expecting this, the data disappeared for three days. Um, they, they quit updating. They up, they've updated every day for years, many years. So they and then this morning, the data was gone completely. And now this afternoon, the data came back. But they've changed it. They've massively reduced the amount of ice um, that's in the Arctic. So you're um, the, so, the, so, sorry, the Danish Meteorological Institute did this. They apparently fudged the data before reposting it. Yeah, they, they would they did not just. Yeah, they went back. They removed the old maps. And put up a new map from December fourth, showing much less ice. And now the now they show the volume in their graph as being well below the average, and even well below 2017. It was above 2017 um, three days ago. So my guess is what happened, and, and this has happened before. I've seen this happen before. Was I, I copied a bunch of news agencies about this? It's likely they contacted the Norwegian government and told them that their map um, is um, disturbing the narrative, and so they took it offline and, and got their scientists to rewrite it and make a completely different map. So, uh, because again, the original map which showed sea ice above the 2004 to 2013 average, in other words, the ice is not melting due to global warming, the ice is thickening in the Arctic. That map demonstrated that, but it was opposed to the narrative. When you pointed that out to BBC, CNN, uh, I guess word got back to the uh, Danish Meteorological Institute. So they took that map down and replaced it with one that showed less ice. Presumably, you know, nothing, nothing has changed. We haven't had, you know, massive ice melting in the last, uh, what, four days. So the only alternative is, is here is that they fudge the data. Well, even if the data did melt them, just comparing the December 4th map from four days ago to the December 4th map today, they're completely different. So they, they just they rewrote the same data. And, and what's partic- particularly disturbing about this is that they removed a lot of the thick ice along the coast of Siberia, which people with which sailors depend on for their survival. If they don't know that that thick ice is there, they're going to get trapped. 
lots of people are trapped there right now. Excellent so this is point. a particularly da- da- dangerous manipulation where, where they're choosing between the safety of the community they're serving and the agenda of the government. All right, Tony, we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, discuss more on the climate change cult, global warming hysteria. Tony Heller, founder of Real Climate Science. Check out his videos on YouTube and NewTube. Tony Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. This is great. This is great. Every Wednesday, we, we push back against the cult of climate change and global warming hysteria. Tony Heller founder of realclimatescience.com is here and he caught the danish meteorological institute red-handed fudging their data he saw a um, a map was that a thermal imaging map that showed you know more more sea ice than the 2004 to 2013 uh, average it looked like kind of a thermal imaging map tony it's actually model data. Um, ah. They take the data from a variety of sources, satellite data, um, uh, microwave sounding data, ship data, um, and any sort of data that into their model to generate this fairly detailed map of, of, of Arctic sea ice. And it's it's obviously not 100% accurate because they don't really know. It's difficult to actually measure the thickness of the ice sometimes. Um, but but it, you know it's probably fairly close. And the fact that they changed it right after it went above the the long term mean is particularly disturbing. And I've, and I've seen this happen several times before from the National Snow and Ice Data Center. They did exactly the same thing. So it, it, it looks very political and, and it's very dangerous, too, because people are relying on knowing where the thick ice is. And if they remove it for political reasons, then sailors, like all the ones who are stuck now, are caught unaware Right, right. And of course, the Danish Meteorological Institute and the the climate change cultists are not counting on. Um, I'm going to call you a weather nerd. Please don't be offended. <laughs> but but you, the people like you who, who are actually checking on this map almost every day. Uh, and so you catch these little things that most people don't. So kudos to you for that. Uh, I want to I want to talk about this story uh, because this is just plain dumb. Now, um, this was reported on Bloomberg, the news service, and they're now uh, scientists are now blaming climate change for wildlife coming into the cities. Now, they're specifically talking about places like California, where people have a lot of coyotes in their neighborhoods. And they're saying that this is because these critters are refugees from the wildfires, which are caused by global warming. Uh, the only problem is I, I live up here in the Great White North, and we have a coyote problem in this in the town here. Uh, the city of Toronto, a, a thriving metropolis, they have coyotes. Uh, you can't blame wildfires on that. It's just, you know, we build cities and houses next to ravines, um, and w- w- we're encroaching on on the wildlife. That's that's the simple answer. Plus, we leave our garbage out. Why did you know? Yet they have to blame climate change. What do you? What are your? What are your thoughts, Tony? 
Well, so the article you sent me was specifically referring to coyotes coming into Berkeley, California. Right? So I went and looked on old in newspapers.com. So in 1964, there was an article out of the University of California at Berkeley upset that coyotes were going to go extinct because of hunting, trapping, poisoning. So, so what they did was they made all these laws banning hunting of coyotes, banning trapping, banning poisoning them. So as a result of this, the population exploded. Um, in places like California, because you're no longer allowed to kill the coyotes. So the, so the population exploded, and now they're blaming their own act, you know, the results of their own actions to protect the coyotes. They're blaming it on climate change. It doesn't have anything to do with climate change. It says it's due to the fact that they've allowed the population to get much larger than it used to be. So now there's more competition for food. So they're coming down into um, their communities to collect food. Right. Yeah. I mean, these populations are thriving next to next to humans. Uh, it's kind of a yeah. it's not a symbiotic relationship. Uh, I'm not sure what you would call it because we don't get anything out of the coyotes except, you know, to to, to marvel at the splendor of nature, I guess. Um, but raccoons, yeah. same thing. I mean, we have a we have a huge raccoon problem uh, in the city of Toronto. Uh, and foxes, foxes everywhere. And they're thriving. They're thriving because, you know, now we have to put our these green bins uh, out on uh, on the curb for uh, on garbage day that contain all of the biodegradables, food scraps and so forth. That, to me, is what's driving, you know, all of these uh, these animals out of the woods and into our neighborhoods. Yeah, if you allow their pop, if you allow their population to increase, they don't have any predators and you're giving them food. Of course, they're going to come into town. I uh, just have a few minutes here, but I wanted to we talked last week, I think it was, uh, and we've talked about it before, geoengineering and this this absolutely mad idea of of putting uh, particulates into the atmosphere like aluminum oxide in order to reflect the sun's rays back up into the atmosphere and forestall global warming and and how that that could that's just got disaster written all over it. But there are other ways of what they call hacking the earth. Um, and one of them has to do with putting stuff into the ocean. Now they want to dump stuff into the ocean, like iron dust or something. Uh, tell me about that. Well, uh, rather than talking about the current idiocy, let's go back in time, 45 years or 50 years to the ice age scare of the 1970s. There was a lot of talk about covering the Arctic with in order to melt the ice and stave off a new ice age. And in 1978, Leonard Nimoy made a, um, made a, had a TV show called In Search Of, and this episode was In Search of the Coming Ice Age. And, and it's featured on it, Stephen Schneider from the National Center for Atmospheric Research. And his comment was, well, yes, we could put coal dust on the Arctic ice and melt it and prevent a new ice age. But there was a, this might cause all kinds of other unforeseen problems and that the cure might end up being worse than the problem. So we're, we're right back to the same situation from 50 years ago, except now they think now they imagine that the Earth is overheating rather than 50 years ago. They were imagining that the Earth was freezing up. <laughs> but it's, it's, the same, it's, the, it's the same level of insanity. It's just, exactly. Um, 
What could possibly go wrong? And here we are again. Here we are again, uh, two years into COVID. And uh, now we're willing to entrust uh, Bill Gates, who is a software salesman who has the same, uh, you know, post-secondary degrees that I have, namely none. Well, I do have a, a diploma in radio broadcasting, but uh, and and, we're, and and he's the guy that's behind this whole geoengineering fiasco. It's absolutely uh, madness. It's absolute madness. Tony Heller's uh, videos can be found on NewTube, NewTube, N-E-W-T-U-B-E, NewTube and YouTube. And uh, I think I think uh, Tony's moving over to Rumble as well. I'm not sure. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All right. Uh, hour two awaits. Plenty of show remains. Uh, we'll talk about 104 research studies affirming natural acquired immunity to COVID. This is good news. It's not controversial. Uh, some good news is in order, I think. And also we'll talk about Elon Musk's comments saying civilization is going to crumble if people don't have more children. Amen to that. <clears throat> and uh, also Russia preparing to invade Ukraine. That's not good news. We'll talk to uh, U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show right after these. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. We're getting uh, strong indications from Russia that they are preparing for an invasion of Ukraine. And uh, I don't need to tell you, I mean, this this is a potential powder keg. This has the potential uh, to these tensions spread very quickly, very quickly. This is a very dangerous situation. Uh, and then whenever we talk about um, tensions on the international stage, rumors of war, etc., cetera, uh, we call upon retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, and uh, he'll be with us towards the tail end of this hour. He's also the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. And also, uh, Armand Brott, He's known as Mr. Dad. He's the spokesman for the Men's Health Network and the author of The New Father, A Dad's Guide to the Toddler Years, a nationally published columnist on manhood and fatherhood and the host of Positive Parenting, which is a weekly uh, talk radio program. He'll be with us this hour as well. 
uh, to comment on some recent remarks by Elon Musk. I'm kind of hot and cold on Elon Musk. I, I certainly applaud his uh, entrepreneurship and uh, his his innovation. Um, I'm not really quite sure what to do with this whole Neuralink idea, putting brain, uh, putting chips in, in, in humans' brains, part of a human computer interface. However, recently he said that civilization is going to crumble if people don't have more children. And I, I agree. Again, the brainwashing, the myth of overpopulation. Do you know you could take every human on Earth, which is what, 78 I don't think we've hit 8 billion yet. It's 7.8 billion people on this earth. You could take every one, every soul and place them within the city limits of Orlando in Florida. Now, yes, they would be standing shoulder to shoulder. You could fit every one of us into the city limits. It's a big, it's a big city, mind you, every one of us in Orlando. There is no overpopulation crisis. Do we have some food distribution issues? Yes, we do. Largely political. However, uh, yes, we, we are certainly facing a catastrophic situation with uh, declining birth rates. And in, in uh, the developing world, birth rates are leveling off, which comes with prosperity. So don't buy into this myth of overpopulation. All right. Earlier, um, I mentioned this pile of research studies which affirm natural acquired immunity to COVID-19. I made a mistake. I said 104. No, it's better than that. The news is even better than that. 141 research studies, a mountain of data now affirms naturally acquired immunity to COVID-19. This shouldn't be controversial. It isn't really. And, uh, we're going to talk about this right now with Dr. Alexander, Paul Elias Alexander. He holds a Ph.D., has experience in epidemiology, in the technical clinical epidemiology, evidence-based medicine He's a re uh, and research methodology. He's a former assistant professor at McMaster University in evidence-based medicine and research methods. Former COVID pandemic evidence synthesis consultant advisor to the World Health Organization former senior advisor to COVID pandemic policy and health and human services. So again, not controversial. Do we have uh, Dr. Alexander yet? Okay. We're, we're trying to get him, but this was a, uh, a study or rather an article that appeared in Brownstone Institute, which is quickly becoming one of my favorites. And they publish, uh, they have a whole, a bunch of different authors, they publish at brownstone.org, brownstone.org. Again, the headline, 141 research studies affirm natural acquired immunity to COVID-19. It's documented, it's linked, and it's quoted. Let me just crib here from this article from Dr. Paul Alexander while we wait for his arrival. He writes, we should not force COVID vaccines on anyone when the evidence shows that naturally acquired immunity is equal to or more robust than and superior to existing vaccines. Instead, we should respect the right of the bodily integrity of individuals to decide for themselves. Public health officials and the medical establishment, with the help of the politicized media, are misleading the public with assertions that the COVID-19 shots provide greater protection than natural immunity. 
CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, for example, was deceptive in her October 2020 published Lancet statement that said there is no evidence for lasting protective immunity to SARS-CoV-2 following natural infection. And that the consequences uh, the consequence of waning immunity would present a risk to vulnerable populations for the indefinite future. Dr. Alexander continues, immunology and virology 101 have taught us over a century that natural immunity confers protection against respiratory viruses, outer coat proteins, and not just one example, the SARS-CoV-2 spike uh, glycoprotein. There is even strong evidence for the persistence of antibodies. Even the CDC recognizes natural immunity for chickenpox and measles, mumps and rubella, but not for COVID-19. The vaccinated are showing viral loads very high, similar to the unvaccinated. And then Dr. Alexander, again, he links to these studies. And the vaccinated are as infectious. Another study uh, he quotes here, Roy Merzma et al. also reported Wisconsin data that corroborate how the vaccinated individuals who get infected with the Delta variant can potentially and are transmitting SARS-CoV-2 to others. This troubling situation of the vaccinated being infectious and transmitting the virus emerged in seminal nosocomial outbreak papers by Chow et al., the Finland hospital outbreak, and the Israel and the Israel hospital outbreak. These studies also reveal that the PPE and masks were essentially ineffective in the healthcare setting. Now he's citing studies. He's linking to the studies. This is not controversial. This is what science is supposed to be about, right? We have studies that show one thing. The other side, they have studies that show something else. But here we have, and again, these are documented, linked, and quoted in this article by Dr. Paul Alexander, 141 research studies affirm naturally acquired immunity to COVID-19. I remember reading this or seeing a documentary about when we first, as a civilization. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Discovered the concept of natural immunity. Do you know how long we've known about this? Since 400 and something BC. That's right. 24, what is that? 2,400 years? 2,500 years? 400 BC, roughly? 450 BC, I think it was. So let's say 2,500 years. It was the plague of Athens. Smallpox, or maybe typhus, they're not really sure, swept through the city of Athens 
And I think uh, 25% of the population ended up dying. But the, the population, those that remained, developed immunity. Natural immunity. Now, is it possible that, I mean, they call it a novel coronavirus. Is it different than all the rest? Well, here again, here we have 141 research studies affirming naturally acquired immunity to COVID-19. The article, again, by Dr. Paul Alexander, published at brownstone.org. Immunology and Virology 101 have taught us over a century that natural immunity confers protection against a respiratory virus's outer coat proteins and not just one, the SARS-CoV-2 spike glycoprotein. So why, why is this suppressed or ignored? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I have my theories. I have my theories. I don't know for sure. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's something truly novel about SARS-CoV-2. The Brownstone Institute previously documented 30 studies on natural immunity as it relates to COVID-19. Now we're up to 141 people. He then posts a, uh, in the article a follow-up chart the most updated and comprehensive library list of 141 of the highest quality, complete, most robust scientific studies and evidence reports, position statements on natural immunity as compared to the COVID-19 vaccine-induced immunity and allow you to draw your own conclusion. And I invite you to do the same. Don't take my word for it. What the hell do I know? I'm not an immunologist and I don't play one on the radio. I just speak with them and invite them on the program. So again, go to brownstone.org and have a look at this article by Dr. Paul Alexander. And uh, again, he's linked to 141 research studies affirming naturally acquired immunity to COVID-19 more robust than from the vaccine. I think it's important to talk about it, just to throw it out there. And again, look at the data, make your own decision. That's supposed to be the way it works, right? That's what informed consent is all about. And maybe after looking at 141 studies affirming natural immunity, you'll decide, no, I don't believe it. I'd rather take the vaccine. And of course, that is your right. All right. Um, not sure why we're not able to raise a Dr. Alexander. We'll keep trying. We'll take a quick timeout. Maybe we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll we'll have him, and maybe we won't. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga nine sixty AM. This is live radio, so sometimes guests aren't where they're supposed to be. They don't show up. Whatever, uh, For whatever reason, Dr. Paul Alexander is uh, unable to join us. We were going to talk about the 141 research studies affirming natural acquired immunity to COVID. And uh, this is uh, part of an article that he wrote. 
at brownstone.org, part of the think tank Brownstone Institute. They do terrific stuff. If you get a chance, check it out. Anyway, we'll uh, perhaps reconnect with Dr. Alexander another time. Highly qualified individual. Um, Earlier, I mentioned the anniversary of John Lennon's death. 41 years ago tonight, 10 o'clock, roughly. And I, I mentioned being at a friend's and watching Monday Night Football, but having the sound turned down. So we missed the announcement made by Howard Cosell that Lennon had been shot outside his uh, apartment, the Dakota, in uh, the in New York. Is that the Upper West Side or the Upper East Side? Can't remember. Anyway, I mentioned that I had another story for you. Uh, now, this isn't mine. Years ago, I had a... Um, an author on a, on a program who pointed this out, one of the strange, curious mysteries surrounding Lennon's death. Um, so go back to Monday Night Football. They were playing in the Orange Bowl. Miami, the Dolphins don't play in the Orange Bowl anymore, do they, uh, Jacob? They're not in the Orange Bowl. No, they, anyway, it was the Orange Bowl. And um, in the dying moments of the game, New England was preparing to kick either a field goal or an extra point. And the entire crowd, obviously Miami Dolphin fans, erupted with block that kick, block that kick. That's what happens in a football game, right? You don't want the opposing team to score the extra point or the field goal or whatever it was. Block that kick, block that kick. So on the Beatles White Album, I believe it is the final track on side B. It's kind of a sound collage. It's called Revolution Number Nine. I think it's Revolution Number Nine. Anyway, it's a sound collage. It's not an actual song. And you hear little little snippets of uh, traffic noises and people shouting and uh, and so forth. Towards the tail end of that song that sound collage you hear sirens like police sirens and then you hear the crowd in a soccer match what they call football over in Great Britain what are they shouting block that kick block that kick the first track, side A of the White Album, back in the USSR. What's the first line? Flew into Miami Beach. Isn't that, I would say, wonderfully strange, except it ends in tragedy. So not wonderfully strange, but one of those curious bits of serendipity. And I've never forgotten that. It's probably been 15 years since I interviewed this gentleman. He wrote a book uh, about the Lenin assassination. Anyway, I thought I would share that with you. Coming up a little bit later, they call him Mr. Dad Armin Brott. He's been with us before. It's been quite a while, though. Back in the early days of this pro program, maybe March or April of this year. And... Um, He's the author of The New Father, A Dad's Guide to the Toddler Years, and he's a columnist 
on manhood and fatherhood. We need more people writing about manhood, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father. Uh, but he'll be here to respond to recent comments by Elon Musk, who spoke the truth. Civilization is going to crumble, is crumbling, because people aren't having enough children. Don't buy into this myth of population uh, of a population crisis. We are not overpopulated. In fact, in the developing world, populations are starting to level off, population increases. Yes, they're still going up, but at a much slower rate, and they will continue to level uh, or to slow and then level off because of prosperity, economic prosperity, because primarily of free market capitalism, by the way. But here in the West, our birth rates are declining in Western, all through Western Europe. This spells disaster for civilization. So um, we'll talk to Armin Broad. We need to have bigger families. I would prefer that it was the conservative families that have bigger families, uh, however. And then, of course, we'll, uh, we'll check in with U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel Robert McGinnis and uh, find out how close are we to a Russian invasion, a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine. Many people of Ukrainian descent or ancestry or ethnicity here in the greater Toronto area, I'm sure they are on pins and needles hoping that this doesn't happen. We'll, uh, we'll find out. All right, back with more of the program in three minutes. Don't go away. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Elon Musk. Like I said, I'm hot and cold on Elon Musk. Sometimes I'm a little uh, worried about what comes out of his mouth. Again, this whole idea of a computer brain interface and putting chips in people's brains. But uh, when he speaks the truth, he speaks it. The uh, Tesla and SpaceX CEO wants us to have more children, more babies. He says there are not enough people. He says, I can't emphasize this enough. There are not enough people. Uh, the tech billionaire said low and rapidly declining birth rates are one of the biggest risks to civilization. And his uh, comments are coming as a growing number of people are deciding not to have children, citing concerns such as climate change and inequality. And of course, buying this nonsense, uh, this myth of overpopulation. What are we going to do about this? This is existential. Armand Broad is known as Mr. Dad. He's a spokesman for the Men's Health Network, author of The New Father, A Dad's Guide to the Toddler Years, now in, a, I believe, its fourth edition, and we're waiting the 20th anniversary edition. He's a nationally published columnist on manhood and fatherhood and the host of Positive Parenting, a weekly talk show. Armand Broad, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be on with you again. Likewise, likewise. We need more people writing uh, and, and talking about manhood and fatherhood and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a father. So I certainly applaud you for I that. Agree. What do you make? What do you make of Elon Musk's comments that that uh, society is or civilization is going to crumble if we don't start having more children? 
I think he's absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of Elon Musk, so we can leave that part of it out there. I mean, he says good things, he says dumb things, but I think this one in particular is good. It, it always amazes me about people who say, kind of as you were saying in your intro, that the, the climate change or income inequality or whatever, we shouldn't have kids. Well, how are we ever going to fix these problems if we don't have kids? We, we have to have kids who will be able to, to be the, the thought leaders who can come up with creative solutions to deal with things. We don't we've never overcome as, as humanity, as, as human beings, never overcome anything by just sitting around saying, well, the solution is no more kids. I mean, it, it's it's silly. It really is silly. And, and I, I, I've never understood how that particular line of thinking actually manages to survive. Well, we've we've become a victim to a, a massive brainwashing um, scheme. And one of the things that we're told uh, by people that we're supposed to admire, even people like uh, Jacques Cousteau. And uh, I grew up watching the, you know, Jacques Cousteau on TV and they, sure. they and, and Jane Goodall uh, talking about how humanity, you know, uh, it's almost like we are a curse upon this planet. We're like a cancer. And I think, you know, if you hear that long enough, over 40, 50 years, people start to believe it. And then they decide, well, maybe we are and we shouldn't procreate anymore. What do you hear when you talk to um, uh, people on your on your talk show or, or the feedback you get from your column? Are you sensing that that uh, young people are giving up? They just don't want to have a family. I think to some extent, yeah, I think young people in particular are, are people who think in black and white terms, not to. I don't want to be, be one of these people who categorizes you know, young people always think in black and white terms. Well, they, they tend to. It's part of what growing up is about that. We all go through that stage where we know absolutely what's right and our parents are wrong and everything they stand for is wrong. And this kind of music and whatever it is, that's the way it is with, with teenagers and young people. And as they grow older and as they start having jobs and, and as they start deciding that they want to make a future for themselves, what's the point of making a future for yourself if you've got no one to pass it on to? What's the sense of uh, our, our entire existence? I mean, just like the existence of anything else that's living in the world is to make more of ourselves. That's what we're for. That's what we do. And so I think, yeah, there's there's going to be some kids who are people who are not going to have kids. But most of us are going to become parents because that's what we do. We're, we're programmed for that. Right. We're going to have children, but are we going to have enough? Uh, you know, we see an awful lot of um you know, one child families these days, one and done, as they say, maybe yeah. two. We don't see my my father was one of 10 children. Um, yeah. And that was during the Depression. We're not having enough children, though. That's the problem. Even if we, we decide to have children, what what is behind that? Is it economic primarily? They just they feel they can't afford to have children. Well, it is expensive to have kids, certainly, but I, I'm not completely sure. I think the, the, the thing about having children, I'm not sure that there's a specific number that we need to get to. Having a certain number of kids is really more about maintaining a culture. So the, the United States, as we know it, as we know, the demographics are changing. That if you look at 100 years ago, we were 90 something percent white and very, few, very little of anything else. And as the, the 100 years has gone by, things have changed. And that's partly because white people are having fewer kids. And so if you want to maintain a culture and you get into all sorts of political correctness about whether you can maintain a culture or not, or whether it's even ethical to do that. But so I'm not I don't know whether there's enough people uh, specifically, but I can tell you for sure. And I've looked a lot at this stuff that we are nowhere near being overpopulated. 
that we don't have food shortages in this in the world. They're, they just it's just simply and this will sound horrible, but they simply don't exist. What we have is delivery problems and corruption in in governments where they are stealing the money or they're not delivering it and it's sitting out there it's been dropped from a, a c-130 plane and it's sitting in, a, in the middle of the desert rotting because it's not being delivered so we th- this idea that we don't that we don't have enough food to feed everybody is just complete bunk i believe that's 100 percent correct we're, we're we're producing more food on on less and less acreage every year the yields are thanks primarily uh, or in large measure to um, the you know more CO two in the atmosphere, but that's you know you can't talk about that, that either. Right. <laughs> uh, Ar- Armin Brat is uh, Mr. Dad, and uh, the fourth edition of the New Father: A Dad's Guide to the Toddler Years um, is available, and we'll uh, continue this conversation in about three minutes. Don't go away. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show News Talk Saga nine sixty a.m. Welcome back. Armin Brat is here, a.k.a. Mr. Dad, spokesman for the Men's Health Network, author of The New Father, Dad's Guide to the Toddler Years, now in its fourth edition. And uh, so we're, we're anticipating the 20th anniversary edition. Is that uh, forthcoming, uh, Mr. Brat? It's going to be coming. It's going to be coming in 2022. Yeah, the fourth edition, the the 25th anniversary edition, which I always feel old when I say that, of, of the the prequel to uh, to the book you just mentioned it's it's uh, the expectant father is just came out and uh, i'm constantly updating these books so it's not just uh, repackaging and putting a new cover on they're they're really completely new editions so it's uh, a labor of love my my uh i don't know if this is a reason earlier we were talking about the the, the um trend lower birth rates couples deciding not to have children. Um, I don't know if this is a contributing factor, but there's a, a great deal of confusion with young men these days. What does it mean to be a man? All of this talk of toxic masculinity. Um, and I'm, I, I remember, t- you know, when I was teaching uh, college and I, I didn't see, you know, young men getting together with, with young women, the young men wanted to stay home and, and play. Well, they're not, really men, I suppose. They're just very young adults, but they, they wanted to stay home and play video games and not be bothered. Um, and uh, a lot of the, the younger women were, were asking, you know, where are the guys? You know, why, why don't they want to get together and go on dates and go to movies? And is that is that because of culture constantly, you know, adding to this confusion of what does it mean to be a man? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's just there's no question in my mind about that. And I think we are in a terrible, terrible situation in the West, uh, in the United States, in Canada. I think it's just a similar type of thing where there's so much emphasis on toxic masculinity and all of the bad things that some men do. And, and I mean, we can look at, at what women are doing or what men are doing. Every man I know has got some horror story about a woman, just as every woman I know has got some horror story about a man. And there, there's no monopoly on who suffers more. But there but there is a monopoly on the, the types of, of assistance that we've given to people. And I think because we've been so focused on boys getting too much attention in school, so we focused a lot on girls, there's a focus on uh, inequality in various professions. So there's 
There's uh, scholarships and all sorts of programs for women in engineering, women in science. If you just look at what's going on worldwide, let's just focus on my country since I, I know that better. Uh, boy, boys, young men are graduating or, or earning about 40 percent of the college degrees. Girls, women are, are getting 60 percent. And that has been going on for decades already. That's not just bachelor's degrees. That's professional degrees. It's master's degrees, PhDs. So we're, we're raising now we've got this this group of men who are uneducated, who are not going to be able to form relationships with women because Generally speaking, women have, are, are less likely to marry down than men have been. I mean, you, you would men would marry their secretaries, for example, and a woman is less likely to do that. So we're going to have these guys who are not marriage material and are, are going to have a much harder time succeeding because they're not they're not being trained for careers that are going to exist in five or 10 years because the the things that they're being trained for, whatever they're getting, are, are less technologically oriented. I think we're going to have serious problems maintaining culture or maintaining life on the planet if we don't have people who are actually interested in having relationships with each other. And I think also a lot of men are extremely concerned about the prospect of having children because they have heard so many horror stories about guys who in in a divorce or if they're not married, lose custody of their kids. They don't ever get to see the kids or they're going to get accused of of domestic violence or they're going to get accused of of raping somebody on campus. I think a lot of young men perceive the world to be a very dangerous, fraught place. And, and for those guys out there who are um, somehow managed to, you know, to find a woman, get married uh, and now are expectant fathers and have that question, you know, what kind of father do I want to be? What do you tell them? I tell them you can you can be any kind of father that you want to be. I mean, you can look at your own dad and say, that's the kind of guy I want to be like. And you can do that. Or you can look at your dad and say, that's exactly what I don't want to do. And you cannot do that. There, There is no such thing as you are doomed to repeat your father's sins or to be like your dad. You can also choose to do, uh, you know, I like what my dad did in these areas. And I, I could use some work in this other stuff. So we'll, 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 you make your own choices. And at some point, you will see yourself doing exactly the things that you swore you would never do. And then you'll stop and you'll take a deep breath and you'll try to not to do those things anymore. But you can make make conscious choices. And I think that's the that's the most important thing. And I think what I also try to tell dads, particularly young dads, is that it's incredibly important for you to understand that you play a vital role in your children's development and in their future well-being. That that role that you're you're the influence that you have over your children is just as significant as the mom's. It's different. You're going to play more physically than she is. Probably you're going to use different words when you speak to them. You're going to going to hold your baby differently. You're going to dance differently, whatever it is. But your child needs to know needs both mom and dad. And by having you as an involved participant in the process, you are giving your child a wonderful gift. So true. And it can't be stated enough that the ideal situation for raising children, the ideal, it can't always happen. But the ideal situation is a mom and a dad raising children. I mean, we have mountains and mountains of data. Uh, it's just it's a simply a fact. It's immutable. You can't deny it. Uh, Armin Broad, Mr. Dad, author of The New Father, A Dad's Guide to the Toddler Years, now available in the fourth edition, the 20th anniversary edition coming out in 2022. Armin, thank you so much. Hope to talk again. 
My pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me. Bye for now. All right. When we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis on the likelihood of Russia invading Ukraine. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Russian forces getting ready for war in Ukraine. That's certainly the fear among Western leaders, Ukraine itself, and of course, um, many Ukrainian Canadians, many here in the GTA who have uh, roots in Ukraine, family in Ukraine. U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis is uh, with us once again, the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, welcome back. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It was only, uh, uh, what, seven years ago, Russia seized part of Ukraine and uh, backed some separatists who started a conflict in uh, large areas of the east. Uh, is this is this is this what's going on um, um, this time around that they're just they're they're backing separatists within Ukraine? Well, certainly in 2014, following the Sochi Olympics, uh, Vladimir Putin launched an operation into eastern Ukraine and, of course, seized Crimea uh, and continues to have it under his arm. Um, that, of course battle, insurgency uh, with Russians. Russia's input, arms and the like, has been going on for seven and a half years. Now, keep in mind, the pretext for that, Richard, was a pro-Russian, a pro-Kremlin president in Kiev uh, was being ousted by demonstrations uh, due to corruption. And so, you know, this time we don't have uh, a clear political uh, I suppose, pretext. However, what Putin is saying, and he said it in April of this year at the State of the Union address, is that uh, he will reunite the Russo-Ukrainian state. And he's made it very clear that the West, NATO specifically, will not infringe upon uh, Ukraine anymore. He does not want a NATO uh, country there, nor does he want one in Georgia. And he, of course, doesn't want ballistic missiles in those locations that could range Russia. So he has built up a massive arm, uh, armor uh, army uh, with you know, what I argue is 40 tank battalions with 2,900 infantry fighting vehicles, 1,600 tubes of artillery, and a lot of supplies ready to go to war. Uh, I don't think any of us know what Mr. Biden and Mr. Putin you know, really came to any consensus yesterday in their call. However, uh, this is serious. We'll have to wait and see what comes of it. Uh, I'm reading here something like 90,000 plus Russian forces are within reach of the Ukrainian border. Uh, is, is that buildup uh, typical or, or, or do they always have that kind of presence on the border? No, they've been moving men from elsewhere, and they've also activated tens of thousands of reservists. And so it's an option that Mr. Or Mr. Putin has, and that is to do an assault. I would argue that they have the means to assault all the way to the Dnieper River, which is right outside of Kiev, and would basically split that country in half. And Putin, with those reservists, could maintain... Uh, control for uh, the foreseeable future. 
Uh, now, I don't think he wants to do that necessarily because it's a costly effort. Uh, however, if he doesn't get core security interest uh, you know, embraced by NATO and by President Biden, uh, his options may be limited, and he'll take that option and, and go with it. Now, I don't favor, and I've made it very clear, U.S. troops going into Ukraine to push back against Russians. Uh, that's something... Uh, that uh, the NATO allies are going to have to figure out if it's in their national interest. Arguably, I don't think it is. Uh, my concern is more of a geopolitical issue uh, and a relationship that Putin has with China's President Xi. I could see a simultaneous effort by the Chinese into Taiwan uh, as Putin would make overtures and perhaps an assault into Ukraine. And then, of course, it becomes... A, a very tough decision by the Biden administration and allies on both sides of the world as to what we would do. Uh, Putin, no doubt, paying attention to the way the Biden administration handled uh, Afghanistan and also its own southern border, uh, obviously, you know, showing great weakness here. There's no question about it. Uh, the geostrategic effects of the fiasco that Mr. Biden oversaw in Afghanistan is coming to roost with what's going on in Ukraine and Taiwan, Iran and elsewhere. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, the likes of Putin and Xi understand uh, power, understand you know, strong leadership. And Mr. Biden is just not presenting that to these adversaries. So what should the. Um uh, American response be? Biden has threatened to, uh, to I believe, seize uh, assets, uh, Russian assets and banks and so forth. Um, is, is that enough of a deterrence? No, I don't think so. Mr. Putin's going to make his decision upon a, a variety of factors. I don't think, you know, taking money away from him uh, personally or from the oligarchs that support him and and otherwise is going to, you know, really be persuasive. Now, you know, after the 2014 invasion, now what we did is reinforce our NATO allies in the Baltics. Uh, and, of course, uh, Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, uh, Poland, uh, former East Bloc countries are very nervous watching what's going on here, uh, but they've joined NATO. And so there is an Article 5 issue at stake. If, in fact, uh, the Russian forces were to invade, say, into Poland, uh, that would be a very different uh, proposition. Now, we don't have the forces we had years ago over there. We do have four deployed brigades that are mostly there to uh, exercise and train with uh, our allies. However, uh, the numbers are just minuscule in comparison to the time uh, of the Soviet Union. When I was over there, we had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of troops and thousands of tanks and the like. Now, today we have very few. Uh, very quickly, uh, Bob, if you could, if, it, if this is going to happen, if invasion is imminent, when would it likely take place? Well, I think it would be a coordinated effort after the Olympics in China. Uh, I don't think you know, Mr. Putin is going to jeopardize his partner, President Xi's uh, time in the limelight with the Olympics. 
you know, even our so-called diplomatic boycott isn't getting a lot of attention. You know, I would argue that we're re- revisiting the 1936 Berlin Olympics or the 1980 uh, Moscow Olympics, and we're not doing all that well at this point. These tyrants are going to do what they're going to do. Uh, their calculations are based on a number of variables, uh, and right now we don't have much in the, the way of uh, dissuading them from doing what they want to do. On a scale of one to ten, how would, how likely is it that Russia will invade uh, Ukraine sometime in early 2022? I'm uh, saying it's better than 50-50 at this point. Better than 50-50. All right. Um, Colonel, we appreciate your time as always. We'll, we'll remind people that uh, they can get a copy of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism at Amazon. Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. Always appreciate your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Give me liberty, not Marxism. Great book, by the way. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, the Brian Crombie Hour is next. Be well. Find joy. Hold fast. Be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.